No slushy, no podcast, no deal. And no one else will have what you need, I think. Uh... Hello and welcome to Slushy Stop. My name is Nathan and I am joined once again by Alex and Jake, where we are going through the Star Wars series, movie by movie, just having casual conversations about each one, leading up to the grand finale, where we are going to play Star Wars Trivia Pursuit against each other. We're going to see who bombarded Star Wars Trivia. Oh, God. <laughs> that was for Alex. That was horrible. Because, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, so on that note, let's go ahead and dive into Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which you'll be able to tell soon enough is one of Alex's favorites. Dissing movie? Bad bombing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I guess it's probably important to start out, uh, you know, the, out of the three of us, I am the oldest, and so this movie to me came out right at that point where I was just young enough to still kind of enjoy it um, and not really see its flaws. But of course, now that I'm older, I see nothing but the flaws. So I'm a little jaded. Uh, but then we have Jake, who's our youngest of the group. Why don't you go ahead and tell us how, uh, how you relate to this movie? So, you know, as I've said previously, I first saw Star Wars, it was like three or four. Phantom Menace was the first one that I got to see on a big screen. And maybe because it was the first one I saw in the theater, um, you know, I just have such a strong nostalgic relationship with it that, you know, I can look past a lot of the flaws. Like, yes, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't like Jar Jar Binks any more than you do. But I, I'm willing to cast him aside. And even for that matter, I can sort of see what Lucas was going for in his inclusion in the movie but yeah I mean for me it's like I think episode one I think young Obi-Wan Kenobi he's got like three lines but all of them are cool we get Darth Maul which is the coolest of all the Star Wars villains and you can fight me on that I'll argue with you till the sun goes down and then when it comes back up and goes down again well I'll go forever um We've got the awesome Naboo starfighters, those yellow ones that fly, like the way they fly, it looks like they're going backwards, and I think that's cool. We have the pod race scene, which is obviously like 15 minutes too long, but it's still pretty cool. So there, there are a lot of things in this movie that, you know, the child in me still really, really loves. Yes, and we'll, we'll unpack more of the, the good things about it, because I can't admit there are definitely good things about this movie, but um, there's also equally the bad, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I knew that we were going to be doing this episode, um, and a lot, hand over my heart, been trying to think of things that I could say that wouldn't just be overwhelmingly negative. So far, I've come up pretty short in that endeavor. Uh, <laughs> I think it's terrible. I think this movie is terrible. Um, I was, what did it come out? 98, 99, something like that? 1999. So I was nine years old. So I was the target demographic for this movie. Um, I had gotten hooked with the re-release of the originals, which was the plan. That's exactly what they wanted to happen. Um, I remember seeing it for the first time and thinking it was boring but not really sure why um the only good thing about it was that there were some really cool toys um so i have this giant like three and a half foot long nabu the royal starship uh i had that toy like it opened up and you could pull it out and you could you know uh play with the different levels there's the you know the hyperdrive was damaged and uh i mean it was pretty amazing um, and I had the yellow starfighter. I had a Anakin's pod racer. And so when I think about episode one, I think what a horrible disaster of a film. Um, but I have some cool toys. Uh, Darth Maul, by the way, is cool, but he's not, he's not Vader cool. 
<laughs> you, you you couldn't see that, but Jake just shook his head. We'll we'll, we'll uh, come back to that. Maybe no, he's not Vader cool. He's cool in a different way. My argument is that no, Darth Maul is not Vader cool, but he's sort of on a totally different scale from Vader. I don't know. They're they're just not really comparable. Yeah. Um, I sort of look at them, and they yeah. they both have their own different scales of cool, and they are both sort of at the top of each of those. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I mean, Darth Maul, like, yeah, bright spot could have been, but was that ruined as well? Like, yeah, totally underutilized, underused. Um, like, I mean, we, we've talked about this. I, and, and so I, I'm interested to see how this goes because I, like, I honest to Pete, like, I, I, there's not that much good that I have to say about it. I mean, um, I just think it's such a weird, it's such a weird movie. And after watching the originals last week, uh, or the last couple of weeks uh, in preparation for the previous shows, going straight from those and watching this one, it's just so blatant how terrible it is. Yeah, we've we've discussed that you know off the air, but basically, kind of what it comes down to for me is the Star Wars original trilogy kind of set this this tone, this style for the Star Wars universe that just doesn't just doesn't uh isn't reflected in the prequels i mean yes it's a different time uh you have it's supposed to be you know the uh the peak of the jedi and and the republic and everything but but for me it came down to just gosh the the use of humor at times yeah um i mean it's like this movie can't go five minutes without some sort of funny moment and at that it wasn't even like good humor. It was a lot of the time slapstick, very childish. Um, Ugh, icky, icky, coo. <laughs> I mean, yes, this was obviously marketed towards yeah. a young crowd, and it works for them. But again, it just makes it like you're saying. It just makes it contrast so much more with that original trilogy. And I would say, like today. Um, I was thinking about our conversation about a new hope and something that Jake said that really stuck out to me. Like I didn't catch it really at the moment, but I caught it now is he's talking about the star Wars universe being very kind of dirty and lived in and like doors make noise as if like maybe they need maintenance and like the millennium Falcon is a piece of junk and, or it looks like a piece of junk, you know, and you watch episode one and immediately like everything is super clean and everything is manicured um everything looks like it's pretty pristine and the ships are all super clean and i get that this is like uh you know like pax republica or whatever so it, it this it's a time of prosperity and there's no war and all that stuff i get that but I, I think it's a small thing that you pointed out that I've just noticed is that it doesn't feel real. Uh, and part of that's the CGI, obviously, but it doesn't feel real because it's not dirty. It doesn't seem broken. It doesn't seem um, that kind of like that lived in world that you get, you know, when you're dropped onto Tatooine for the first time. You know, when you watch four or five and six, you're in this imperial galaxy and everything's like, you know, you got this brutish architecture, this like basically communist block style. Um, everything's like, you know, pretty boring looking. It, to me, it's weird that like when Obi-Wan Kenobi first talks about in A New Hope when he's like, you know, something your father was a pilot and looks like something the Clone Wars. Like when I watched that movie, um, I've always thought of the Clone Wars as being like this big, amazing like world war one ish conflict where like you had these very clear like there are good guys and there are bad guys and the clone wars sounded very glamorous and almost romantic and i imagine that the universe in which that conflict takes place is not the one (laughs) that we find i think in like uh phantom menace it's a weird universe 
Well, it's funny how it almost gets kind of meta at one point because, yeah, the whole plot and everything by the Trade Federation really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because in the opening scroll, it talks about how, you know, they set up this blockade around the small planet near the outer rim. I, you know, I guess you can assume it's like a demonstration uh, for for their cause, but it's like, why would you choose this planet? Like, it doesn't sound like it would get a whole lot mm-hmm. of notoriety or anything like that. I mean, obviously, unless you want to be hush-hush, you know, they're just trying to, I guess, absorb these planets quietly underneath the, uh, you know, behind the back of the Senate and everything. But, but still, it's just, it's like, why Naboo? The whole time, which of course we know it's because, you know, that's the planet that Palpatine is the senator of, but ultimately it just doesn't make sense to other people and to where Qui-Gon literally goes, you know, what the, what the vice word is doing doesn't make any sense. Is it, do you think the movie would have been better served if there were some, I remember like English, a freshman English in high school talking about the different types of conflict and irony. This seems like a movie that we should have known that Palpatine was Sidious at the beginning. I feel like the movie works better if you know that. Instead of like Lucas going out of the way to be mysterious. It's like we we already see all this is coming, but should there have been... Do you think... I mean, y'all are the film experts... Do you think we sh- it should have been more blatant up front? Like Palpatine is Sidious, Sidious is Palpatine. Palpatine, Palpatine is orchestrating this whole thing to get him, you know, all this power and everything. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could have been interesting to see kind of, I guess, some of the political gymnastics or whatever that he was having to go through behind the scenes that we can only just assume at this point. Because, like, I found myself in this one, you know, kind of wondering about that. Because there's one point where Palpatine's talking about how Chancellor Valorum is losing power because of, you know, accusations of corruption and things like that. And and so I wondered, well, are those accusations of corruption, you know, coming from Palpatine himself? Like, obviously, I'm sure he's orchestrating those to set it all up. So wouldn't it be interesting, yes, to actually see how he's going about and doing that because you know palpatine is the great manipulator so and that's really interesting like that story and palpatine's stream pulling and the like the political drama is really interesting and so it's really weird to me that we choose not to not to focus on that and say like the trade dispute the the naboo thing that could be a conversation that's happening like House of Cards. I'm thinking like, what if like episode one played out what was like kind of House of Cards? Um, how 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 interesting and, and cool could that have been? I, I think Lucas's thinking with making Sidious all mysterious and everything is, you know, gauging that younger audience. Like Nate said earlier, you know, this, this movie was geared toward a younger audience. And I mean, the case in point like to prove that is Jar Jar's inclusion in the movie at all. And, you know, the jokes every five minutes. Uh, you know, it, it, that's solely to keep the attention of a young child. So I think maybe you make Sidious mysterious, maybe a little kid won't realize it immediately. I see what, I see what George Lucas was going for. Um, but ultimately it just came down to like, it was just such a superficial mess. Like everything was very surface level, you know, like the humor, uh, as already stated, but even just the story itself, you know, like you said, it's so thin to where it just felt like to me that George Lucas, you know, he knew what he wanted in the third act that, you know, he wanted this big lightsaber battle. He wanted a space battle going on as well. Um, he knew he, he had to introduce Anakin and the Jedi. So he had this end goal in mind. And then he was just like, well, let's just do a bunch of crap before that to set it up. You know, it doesn't really matter what, as long as we have you know, our big spectacles there at the end, which don't get me wrong. Like that lightsaber battle is. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that tops the list. And it's not even just because I watch Phantom Menace through a different lens than everyone else. Like, 
I, yes, you better correct yourself on yeah. that one. <laughs> no, I genuinely think like the, the Darth Maul, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon lightsaber fight is one of the, if not the coolest in the entire series. Like, again, I mean, Darth Maul is so cool and, you know, Obi-Wan doing the, you know, he, he gets kicked off that bridge thing and then he has to, you know, he's rushing to catch up, but he's like doing these crazy force jumps and stuff and yeah, it's just so fun to watch. I'll definitely agree that that is my second favorite lightsaber fight of all the movies. Um, obviously, Luke Vader, Throne Room is number one, but that's definitely number two. That That is, that's the redeeming thing. And the score. I think the score from Phantom Menace mm-hmm. was phenomenal. Yeah, Duel, Duel of the yes. Fates. I mean, not to go back, to, harken back to that that same lightsaber fight over, but that song is so cool. Mad props to John Williams all the way through. Yeah, great. And so that's, and that I guess that leads to another you know positive note about this movie is at least you know when Lucas finally gets around to giving a spectacle, whether it's that lightsaber battle or the pod race, that at least those spe- the spectacle is top-notch. And yes, he's supported by, you know, great score with the lightsaber battle. And I would say that pod race, one of the things I love about it is the sound design and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Bird did an amazing job with it. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I had to restrain myself from getting up before the pod race scene came on and cranking my sound system so that I could hear every <laughs> little sound because it's just, oh man, it is immersive. Yeah. It's very fast, very dangerous. But he's the only human that can do it. Now this is pod racing. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know in, in our conversations leading up to this, that was one thing that we we did talk about was Jake Lloyd and how, you know, unfortunately a lot of people blame him for for this movie which you know is pretty unfair because i mean first of all like he was a child actor on average child actors are pretty terrible um yes there are exceptions but it's it's almost a rule that you know child actors are not going to be very good and so for him to be playing such an important character was kind of an unnecessary burden for george lucas to put on him um yeah, and you like and, and you also made the point that there wasn't really any reason for to make him that young we very easily no, not at all he very easily could have written it to where you know we pick up when anakin's you know at least a preteen. but and that was but that was another thing uh, you know i mentioned before too that you know th- there was just so many missed opportunities you know george lucas yes he had some good concepts that misfired but then there were just other things that just didn't make sense like um you know, you have the scene where they're sitting around the table with Shmi and Anakin. And, like, they start the scene out by talking about how, you know, all the slaves have trackers in them. And that if they, you know, step out of line, they could get blown up. And it's like, huh, that's kind of an interesting concept. Like, why didn't they actually, like, why didn't that come back into play? Like, why, why was that even brought up in the first place? Um, was that just, you know, needless exposition just to show why the slaves don't run off? Because, uh, honestly, that would have been create some interesting tension if later on after Watto lost and had to give up Anakin that he was like no I'm gonna get my last revenge and I'm gonna set off the bomb inside of him blow up that little snot or something like that I don't know I mean I don't know how you would resolve that but still that at least creates some interesting tension there beyond just he would have saved the galaxy a lot of trouble (laughs) that's true Everything would have been over if Watto had just blown him up. Also, that definitely is Gardula the Hut and the thing with Jabba at the race. As so I tra- suggested the other day. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if they're like related or what. And like, again, why randomly introduce someone like that? Why not just have them be the property of Jabba the Hut? Easter eggs, man. I know, like, gosh, it's almost like synonymous with the movies now. How many Easter eggs they throw in there? But I mean, it it started with George Lucas, believe it or not. Um, and that's uh, and that's kind of, I guess, one of the fascinating things about this movie. Uh, I don't know if that's too strong of a word to use, but you know, you got to think back. Yeah, this was 1999, and gosh, this was kind of an ambitious movie. 
to a certain extent as far as the the level of special effects George Lucas was implementing at this time. And that was clearly one of his goals is, you know, for the longest time with the original trilogy, he was heralded as, you know, the father of special effects and everything they did to bring the ships to life and and everything there. Uh, and so it was almost like his second coming with these movies, you know, really introducing the green screen, the CGI and everything, you know, even though it was more of a detriment than a help, at least just especially the later movies. But, you know, it definitely planted this seed in Hollywood that, you know, is why we are where we are today. I mean, off the top of my head, you know, you can say what you will about Jar Jar Binks and, you know, whatever. There are plenty of horrible things to say. But prior to him, I can't really remember any purely CGI characters or at least ones that were you know even vaguely convincing and you know Mm -hmm. you can you can almost you know again say what you will about jar jar but you can kind of thank him for a lot of the characters that dominate the movies today you know look at um thanos in uh infinity war you know you you couldn't you couldn't have that if it weren't for you know what george lucas did with these movies for sure. I mean, he definitely set the precedent for our, our modern day movies and everything. So I, so I felt it was fair to at least recognize that, even though, yes, the execution may have been, uh, may not have been top notch, but at least because, I mean, again, that's kind of the frustrating thing, though, about it is he had these good, I, I like to give him the benefit of doubt and think that he had good intentions for these movies. Um, but at the same time, I know we talked about this the other day, but it just felt like at times, like just a rich man's exploit that just this guy that had a bunch of money, money that wanted to make this movie. Uh, he didn't necessarily think it through very well, but he did it. And, you know, this rich man just happened to have Hollywood and industrial light and magic at his disposal to really make it more polished. But yeah, there are times where it's just, uh, it just makes you cringe, unfortunately. Well, one of the one of the things that I do really love, and Alex, you and I have talked about it, and even you said you do the set piece of Naboo. I mean, that planet looks yeah. amazing. That whole set is is yeah. awesome, and even you know when you get toward the end and that that final battle between the Gungans and the battle droids, like you know, obviously they're like they're Gungans. Yeah. It's hard to take this seriously, but that just looked so cool you have the city of Theed off in the distance and the gungans under this crazy blue shield thing fighting an army of battle droids like that's just a really cool idea that's that was one question i had this last time is okay are the gungans are they supposed to be a primitive species like a a primitive race or because they don't seem that primitive if they can have shields and all this and yet I mean, they don't use guns. Yeah, but but that's just it. Like, yeah, the, their choice of weapons, the fact that they have mounts, but then they also have enough technology to create the the bongos and that underwater city. Like, that just has me very confused. Um, but what I did find interesting, though, this time, is, I mean, I kind of, I had kind of caught it before, but it really stood out to me this time is that you know the Naboo. They don't have like a standing military. They just have a bunch of like volunteer police officers, or mm-hmm. like you know, it's a it's it's all all on a, all on a volunteer a militia, basis. basically. Yeah, and yet the Gungans are basically they do have a standing military. They are somewhat of a warrior race, and so that's how you know they do complete a symbiont circle, as Obi Wan says, because they defend the the citizens of Theed. So I mean I'll I'll give that credit to George Lucas, but again that that aside, it's just it is also just very confusing and unclear as how advanced the Gungans are. But Yeah. Captain Panak is cool. <laughs> There's that. Also when I was younger, it frustrated me the way that the the final fights were all edited together because you have these four different plot threads 
um, you know, mm-hmm. jumping back and forth. And it's like as soon as you get interested in one, it cuts to another. But now that I've mm-hmm. now that I've gotten older, I kind of enjoy that a little bit because each one is kind of cool in its own way. Um, minus, I, I still don't really like the you know Anakin and the Naboo Starfighter just happening into the not Death Star thing like. That's still not, and the guns that blew up the Republic cruiser at the beginning just don't blow up his ship for some reason, even though his shield is down. Yeah, that whole part I could just I could do without. Like I get it, you're foreshadowing, you know, Luke blowing up the Death Star, and you know, oh, his dad did it too, but uh, it's it, like a poem. Yeah, it rhymes. <laughs> you're it you're rhymes. just you're just you're going too far at that point. But uh, you know, like I said, the the Gungan and battle droid fight, like it. It looks cool, and I mean, obviously, you have that comic relief in there, which misses the mark many, many times. But it, it does look cool. And then, you know, we've already talked about the the lightsaber duel, like top tier lightsaber fight throughout the saga. And then you've got Padme and Panaka and their whole uh, their their little splinter group, sort of infiltrating their own palace and stuff like that's yeah. cool um and one, one of the parts that's always stood out to me is you know when they go out the window and they have the little grappler guns built into their blasters like that's <laughs> yeah. the coolest idea ever why don't all blasters have this yeah kind of but kind of i guess bringing it back full circle it definitely feels at time uh, at many times that this movie was just designed to sell toys because yeah i had tons of episode yeah. one toys as well i mean i had so many action figures yeah i, th- I still have them uh somewhere and i mean it, it was just excessive yeah i i just I, I wish i could say i like this movie in a campy like indiana jones type of way like i know it's totally unrealistic but i love it mm-hmm. um i just i just can't say that it's not as bad as episode two, so it has that going for it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. So many, I've I've had many many an argument with people about that. Um, you know, the argument is always, well, at least episode two has you know the Geonosis and that whole fight thing, and it's eh. like, yeah, that's cool, but you have to get there first. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> everything leading up to that point is yeah, terrible, and so I think there are far more redeeming qualities about phantom menace than attack of the clones but oh yeah you could totally do a fan edit and kind of compress the movie and it would be significantly better for sure yeah and i think that's that's a lot of what the problems with the phantom menace are you know it just there's too much here and it yeah it feels far longer than it actually is well because Part of the problem is you just have a lot of telling instead of showing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like right now, I've got the you know movie playing while while we're talking, and literally we just had a scene, a, a short little scene too. That was another problem I had with it this last time around is it's it's very superficial at times, uh, and especially and just very inefficient. Like you'll have a one minute scene between two people where oh they say something. And then that's it. And then you yeah. move on to the next scene. And it's just like, ah, uh, like so much excess at times. Whether, because, yeah, you have like the pod race that just goes on too long or just so many things that they want to say instead of show. And, and, and again, I think that goes back to that was Lucas doing what he thought was the right thing to capture that young, you know, child audience. Because I don't really think that he was giving that audience enough credit. You know, he was just assuming that they wouldn't understand anything if he just didn't put it right on their plate. But I think it's a it's it's got a weird problem in that you either have to be a child or an economist with a PhD to to like really be able to appreciate this movie, because while it's ridiculously terrible at sometimes, it's also almost way too smart for its own good, like the great the giant like it it's a brilliant 
kind of scheme of like this shadowy guy using trade routes and taxes to strong arm a planet into like voting no confidence in the chancellor. Like, but it's almost too smart for its own good. Like, you either have to be really smart or like pretty simple to watch this movie and 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 love it. It's that, and it's also the fact that I don't think Lucas went very strongly either direction. If that makes sense, you know, if if he yes, if he played it all, you know, just the smart route, I think it could have benefited. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas, yeah, it's or if he'd gone purely just the spectacle route and give and gave us nothing but that, yeah. and a very thin plot, that would have been significantly more enjoyable yeah, as well. But he tried to strike a balance in between the two, which, I mean, is can probably be done. Um, and I think at times this movie does do that, but yeah, it's it's definitely a hard balance to strike. And if you mess up, you you mess up badly. There there's no middle ground. Yeah. It's funny. I, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think it's really interesting because I think I think the movie could have used more coruscant politics. I think the movie could have stood um, seeing the inner working i think of a movie like lincoln in mm-hmm. which you have a it's it does very it does a great job at making the political workings of washington dc high drama high stakes so that by the end you got that guy running from the capitol to the white house you know yeah. and that is an emotionally packed um tension packed moment and i think you know for all the ways that we could complain about these movies it's funny to me that we find ourselves saying it needed more political drama and more <laughs> yeah. like more like you know in the hall in the corridors of power but i think it i think it needs that and, and if that's the route you're going to go that's to, to me if that's the route you're going to go to build this conflict you need you, to go all in you got to go all in yeah you got to you got to commit yeah. that, and that, that was the problem with george lucas he didn't commit to any any of the, the stories right. exactly really. yeah because i feel like palpatine is a caricature and like let's see him in his element Mm -hmm. like being a political mover and shaker you know a lyndon johnson type um master worker of the senate yeah you know let's see him popping in on people you know he's sitting in their office when they come back from lunch and he's making things uh get done i think this movie i think it needed that and could have used that because palpatine is such a fascinating character and we get surprisingly little of him until revenge of the sith yeah and phantom menace especially it's like as central as he is to the whole conflict he's left out of it almost completely also we get a little bit of sidious which is you know meant to be the big big bad guy or whatever but there's not even enough of him and not a clear enough connection until you get the like the only time that it's made that it's even really hinted at in phantom menace is when they're burning Qui-Gon's body and Yoda and Mace Windu are talking about, you know, they're all, always two there are, a master and apprentice. And yeah. then you've got that shot uh, from the side where it focuses in on Palpatine. You know, there's your implication there. But, like, we needed that way earlier in the movie. Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, we all know who he is, but you need to show that earlier in the movie so that it's clear what the focal point is here. But instead, it's like it starts out with the political stuff and then shifts to this plot about Anakin, and then that's the main plot, but then the political stuff just sort of bounces in and out every so often. And I'm with you. Like, if they're going to go that route, they need to go all that route. We, we gotta, that's got to be, to me, the central part of the movie. And, it, like, yeah, it might have been a little slower, but I think it would have been better. It would have been more interesting. And it would have, like, a solely political, politically-based movie would have warranted the start of the Clone Wars in my mind. Absolutely. Because what are wars typically started over? Politics. Politics. It's, it's money and politics and that sort of thing. So Absolutely. That's a, that, that's a realistic reason for a war of the caliber of the Clone Wars to start. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. Having the first movie of this trilogy mainly have its focus on Palpatine and mm-hmm. his inner workings and through his story, the focus on him that's where you start to introduce the other characters like your Obi-Wan and your Anakin and all these other players because with him being in the position that he's in, 
he's obviously going to rub elbows with these guys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So right. instead of following them directly, you're getting that introduction to them there. So that way, you know, in the next movie or something like that, you can start bringing them in more. And it's almost like you'd like be a- telling, you'd be introducing the audience to this world through the eyes of a character. Exactly. Kind of like a new hope. <laughs> As I'm sitting here thinking, I do have to give one more. I, I do have to give credit to one more scene, and, it, and it's one that makes me emotional every single time. And I told y'all, it's when Anakin realizes that going with Qui Gon means leaving his mom behind, and she's like, "No, this like it's it's good. You should go." And he's like, "You suddenly like the gravity of this situation, like a nine year old boy." having to leave his mom like behind on a planet like not just going you know to school a few miles away but like that scene and, and I've especially always leaving was, her in slavery in slavery yeah that scene ha- to me has always been that's the most that's the maybe the best scene of the movie in terms of the one that I finally feel like I relate to these characters like I want to swoop in and save his mom. And that's also probably his first major trauma that he that he suffers. So that mm. I think that fact of, you know, him leaving her and then pair that with, you know, the next time he sees her, she's dying. Yeah. Um you know, it, it's very very clearly sowing the seeds for what he will become. And I mean, what better <laughs> what better way to create someone as cold and distant and inhumane as vader than you know at such a young age you know tear him away from his mother like yes he makes the decision ultimately but it comes back to haunt him and you know i think by the time we get to her death in episode two he very much regrets leaving her and it's, I think that regret is a lot of, I mean, yeah, that regret has to be a lot of what drives him to the dark side to begin with. And and that reflects poorly on Qui-Gon, in my opinion. Like, that's why I, Liam Neeson's cool, but, like, it's hard for me to watch that movie and walk away not disliking Qui-Gon. Like, he he's just not a likable guy to me and then that like the dude should have he should have left him alone he like free him free him and be like sorry man like this i know you don't understand because you're only nine but yeah i mean he he tears this child away from his mother to then whisk him off across the galaxy to then you know ramrod him into the jedi order that doesn't even want him takes him into an active war zone Mm -hmm. but but um Liam Neeson great though in this movie like yeah you can be, because of Qui-Gon's decision it's very very easy to dislike him as a character but Liam Neeson plays that role so excellently and he does. And, I, and I think Qui-Gon very much suffers from the same problem as Maul you know he's while he's arguably the main character of the movie um at least until Anakin comes in and then it's sort of divided between the two of them. But like we, we follow Qui-Gon more than we do Obi-Wan in this movie and he yeah. still doesn't really get a whole lot to do. And then, yeah, he's just, he's killed off at, at the end. And personally, you know, I would have liked to have seen Qui-Gon more. I, I want more of that character. So, and I feel like yeah. it's just another one of those things where George Lucas had a good idea, at least good intentions, but just wasn't able to execute it on it, execute on it properly because he was just trying to do so many different things in this movie. He kept everything superficial, didn't didn't flesh anything out well enough for anything to really work properly. I will agree as much as, as even though I do, I do still enjoy this movie. I can agree with that. Uh, so one question that has that's coming to my mind after you know talking about the movie and you know we definitely aren't fans of it, I mean or at least we see a lot of the problems with it. So the big question on my mind is, if you were given the reins to do a Star Wars prequel 
trilogy, what would that look like? Like, how would you fix it? Because obviously it starts with Phantom Menace and then it just goes on from there. So if you could start it off on the right foot, how would you do that? So we're talking, there is no prequel and we have all the power to start from nothing. Correct. To write the whole prequels. Correct. Ooh, I like this question. Because <laughs> I know it's something that I've thought about, but I'm curious to see what y'all have to say first. I like this question a lot. Um, and I'm not going to just say what I wouldn't do, which is what happened. So <laughs> True. Um, I'm going to... Oh, okay, that's a great question. Jake, do you have any input? It would be three movies. That would all be three hours long, and it would just be Gungans <laughs> with a cameo from Watto. <laughs> and the main villain would be General Grievous. And he would have his, – his attack would be spreading an epidemic of bronchitis <laughs> to the entire galaxy. <laughs> okay, I guess apparently I have to I have to clarify. You still have to set up the original trilogy <laughs> – so, you have to, sh- you well, know. But, but I am. You get Darth Vader's res- respiratory issue. Gotcha. And the Clone Wars are just fought with Gungans. How annoying would be Gungans <laughs> with bronchitis? <laughs> How much worse would an already terrible situation be? <laughs> if they had bronchitis. Um, I love this question because I love hypotheticals. Um. I think I, I, I would not focus it on the character of Anakin Skywalker. That's what I would say. I would focus it. I would. I would jump into the Clone Wars. I would not. Just I would run into the middle of it. You yeah. don't have to show the origin. I mean, obviously, right. people hint at it, but right. I would not. Um, <clears throat> I would probably have Palpatine. Would be some high-ranking galactic executive already um not some nobody who you know is clawing his way and he's not a nobody in in phantom i know that but he would might already be some high level guy i would jump right in the middle and the clone wars would be i actually i like the droid um versus human battles i thought that was a really interesting take on it um i would probably though make it a human versus alien war and that would help kind of explain the lack of aliens in the Galactic Empire. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they here's this victorious um, force and they've kind of, you know, relegated aliens to the outskirts of society. So um, basically doubling down on the uh, obvious Nazi references. Absolutely. You know, connection to the Empire and everything. Right. So basically, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So basically kind of like I would drop you in in like 1941. The equivalent of World War Two, you know, this thing's been raging for four years. You're four years to go still, but I, I would drop you right there in the thick of it with the with um, these two forces. You know, probably the maybe the Republic, if that's what you want to call it, um, at the height of its power. You know, fighting off this um, alien. I don't know if I would do separatist, but for whatever reason, that's probably how I would set it up. And then uh, I would have. Probably Anakin not be some anomaly from, you know, this forgotten world. I, I might have him just be a normal um, kind of Jedi recruit who slowly goes bad. And, uh, you know, I, I just wouldn't center it on him because I feel like Star Wars is this great big universe and this great big story. And, you know, I, I'm big fans of the red letter media guys. And one thing that they said... Uh, in one of their reviews is that Darth Vader in a new hope appears to just be one character in this giant story. Um, and, uh, I think I would probably keep it that way in my prequels. Gotcha. So yeah, a lot, lot less emphasis on Anakin. Oh, and yeah. His fall. Give us more of that war. Kind of, I mean, kind of like what you get with, I guess the, the clone wars TV series and things like that. Yeah. And that's probably why it's been so hugely successful. For sure, yeah, and and I think I would paint. I, I would set up this galaxy. Um, you know, we're supposed to watch four, five, and six 
and see a galaxy that's worse under imperial rule. And I would counter that in George Lucas's one, two, and three, the galaxy doesn't seem like that much better a place before the galactic empire. So I think I would kind of set it up like a, I would make sure you understood and saw that the galaxy was a beautiful, cultural, artistic, creative, peace-loving place where I kind of think of like the uh, the Old Republic games. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought the Old Republic games did a really good job of you, you have to have an idea of what is lost by an Imperial takeover. And, uh, and kind of, um, you know, have this almost utopia situation that gets upended by a the utopia rise of these. where it's easy to see how they could take something for granted and how some, this yeah. evil could just root its way in there. And why rebels in four, five, and six would sacrifice everything to return back to that state of affairs um, before the fascist takeover by the Galactic Empire. Because that's one thing that like people argued about Rogue One um, is like the Empire doesn't seem that bad. Like when when does the Empire do anything on screen that's terrible? That's true. I mean, because they seem like they have everything stable. I mean, as far as we can tell, the economies are, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So you're right. Having having a point of reference of what this better time looked like before the empire yeah. would add, yeah, significant weight to the following events, even in the original trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll agree with Alex that <clears throat> I wouldn't make Anakin uh, the central character either. Um, I, th- I don't think I would drop straight into the Clone Wars while it was already going. I would sort of take the Phantom Menace approach where you see maybe not necessarily the precursor to the Clone Wars because, I mean, you could argue that the, the Neimoidians take blockading Naboo is, you know, ultimately the catalyst to start the Separatist movement and all that stuff. I wouldn't show that far back, but I would show something... Um, you know, show sort of why the separatists form, how they formed, whatever. Uh, show the beginning of the war, and I mean, Anakin would show up. Certainly, wouldn't be a ten-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever he was. Um, probably be you know early teens, maybe already in the the Jedi Order, in the you know going through the, the training or whatever. Um, I do think it is important to include his mother. Because I think if you just have him be a regular Jedi who goes bad, that's not a good enough backstory for Vader, yeah. for him to be as horrible as he's supposed to be. So, and you know, it gives you, you that initial connection to family as well. Exactly. That so it plays out with him and Luke later on in the original trilogy. Yeah. So you'd have to include something about his mother because you have to have, you know, he has to endure the worst of of tragedies See, in order to get to the point that he is at as Vader. So I would definitely want to feature that, but I think I would set it up um, sort of like the TV show Gotham in the first season and a half. It was primarily about Jim Gordon and Harvey mm-hmm. Bullock. And then Bruce was sort of a main character, but he was like a secondary plot thread. I would do the same, do that, that thing. Your main character would be Obi-Wan. Uh, because he's already, you know, arguably he like the the prequels already, you know, Anakin's technically the main character, but it's sort of split between him and Obi-Wan. And I would retain Obi-Wan because one, that's a great excuse to keep you and McGregor around. Yeah. And number two, just because he's kind of the and at least in my eyes, he's the coolest character. So I was going to say there's no bias. Or anything like <laughs> There's that certainly your, some your bias. Side, right? There's certainly some bias. He's an interesting character. Uh, so I would I would definitely keep him probably the focal point. Um and then, yeah, just have Anakin sort of like a a separate, you know, he, he's there, but he's not pivotal or anything until you get to the third movie. So your first one is setting up how the Clone Wars started. Your second movie is your Rogue One of the, of the prequels. It is a straight war movie. Um, you know, that's when you jump into the thick of it, like. You see the you see it start toward the end of the and of the first Anakin one becomes a warrior. Yeah. yeah, you see it start at the beginning of the first one, and then 
the second one you're you're in it and yeah then this this focus starts to shift a bit more to anakin and yeah he's become this you know strong warrior he's a jedi knight now all this stuff um and you you still get that obi-wan anakin dynamic and all of that and then the third one would be much like what revenge of the sith already is you know it's the the end of the war the fallout of the war and the transition from the republic into the empire um and yeah and with in regard to vader i think it would be infinitely more interesting if the conflict was between anakin and a father i would not make him fatherless in fact i would build the conflict around him and and him and his dad and um because vader obviously like he he doesn't know how to be a dad and i I think that would be some it's like a it's like a poem it rhymes um (laughs) if you build that conflict in and um yeah i agree from from a trilogy perspective i i definitely think i would you can't ignore anakin obviously um but i think i would just like to see i would like to see um it's i don't know i don't know i would include way more mace windu because who doesn't want to see samuel L. jackson running snakes, around with a purple lightsaber snakes on a spaceship <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah my oh, that's on another, a spaceship <laughs> that's another good point i would have i would have gone about the jedi in a totally different way i would not have I would not have made the Jedi Order at its zenith this monastery type. Because, you know, we forget now um, that we had no idea what the Jedi were um, before the prequels came out. And I, I just, I would have made them, they were so easily bamboozled in the prequels. And I feel like yeah. that, that goes against so much of what we're supposed to believe about them. And, and they wouldn't have, there would not have been hundreds of them either, in my opinion. I, I think there needs to be a handful at the most. Um, I'll, I'll disagree with that because if, gar- if Jedi are supposed to be the guardians of, what is it? Peace and justice. Peace and justice. I was going to say truth and justice in the American way. That's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Peace and justice in the galaxy. I think, you know, the galaxy is a massive, expansive place. You can't just have a few of them. I think you need a. Uh, to me, they're they're like a Supreme Court. They're like I would I would set them up like a galactic Supreme Court. There are a handful of them. That's fair. And they're not literally the guardians, but they're the metaphorical guardians of this, you know, this institutional. They guard system. the ideals yeah. of the Republic. And That's then if fair. they, and then make them these, you know, these incredibly powerful warriors that when they do have to get involved, it becomes an, and you know that's an OP factor. Like if a Jedi gets involved on your side, it's like Ark of the Covenant level like <laughs> factor, um, and that's and that's what makes them to me. That's what makes them legendary. Yeah, um, is that you know, and I would make them these very reverent figures, of which Yoda is one. You know, maybe he's the the youngest one, or you know, just he's not. I wouldn't make him the the leader or the most powerful one, not in the first film of the three. Um, and then I would have, to me, the story of the Galactic Empire, I want, uh, this is where I was going a second ago, I lost my train of thought. I want Anakin Skywalker to believe he's the good guy and he goes bad, but still believes he's doing the right thing and doing it for all the right reasons. Like to me, the, and maybe that's, um, he's stomping out, you know, and we kind of get that in Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, a good dictator can rule with peace and justice. And it's like, we kind of get that. But then again, his eyes turn yellow and like, we're very aware <laughs> that Anakin knows he's gone bad. Mm-hmm. I would make him, I would make that character um, much like Dune. Uh, if anyone's read the book Dune, like the character of Muad'Dib, like he's a guy who becomes the, spoiler alert, um, skip ahead if you've not read the book and you intend to, but he's a guy who becomes like this ultimate strong armed dictator in the universe. But throughout his development, you always see why he's doing what he's doing. And in many ways is sympathetic. He's a sympathetic character. That's what I want to see from Vader. I want him to see, 
I want him to be the ultimate bad guy who thinks he's the ultimate good guy. Um, I think that would be a fascinating story. Obviously, you know, to follow your traditional story arc over the trilogy, three, you know, the middle one being the low point. I don't know how you, I don't have specific points in mind, um, but you have the, you know, very clear beginning, middle, end to that trilogy, which launches you into A New Hope. Hmm. A lot, of, a lot of fascinating points, and now I kind of feel bad for letting y'all go first. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up, because uh, with what I've thought about it, like one, one interesting idea that always kept coming to my, to my mind when it came to Anakin's fall is, I don't know, I kind of want it to be a little bit secretive in a way. Oh, yeah. Like, I always thought it'd be really interesting if, like, you know, Say Anakin goes off on a mission with some other Jedi, but like he's the only one that comes back or something like that, or mm-hmm. uh, or he comes back with a couple others, but like there's kind of like these mysterious deaths that he's kind of a- maybe able to pin on somebody else or right, you know, to where it's not to where he yeah he's already making that transition over to the dark side and already starting to kind of kill off the Jedi, but he's not in full swing yet. Like he's just. I guess it's almost like a psychopath in a way, where he's kind yeah. of trying it out before he fully commits. I love in that. In a way. Uh, I just thought like something like that would be very interesting to see. Because even though we all know he's going to go bad, still to kind of toy with it a little bit. Yeah, um, for sure. And not make it like quite as obvious to where... Because I guess that's maybe one criticism I have is, all along the way, why didn't the Jedi see Anakin's downfall? Like, like, even, from, like even in episode one... Yoda makes it very clear that this boy is very afraid and nothing good can come from training him. And yet he still signs off on, well, if it's good enough for Qui-Gon and he died, then I guess we got to train him now. Like he goes back on his morals pretty quickly there, it seems like. So, um, so, so yeah, that's why I think it'd be kind of interesting to have kind of a, a little more tension around that progression. Uh, but then as far as the actual clone wars goes, uh, now, I'll admit, this was not my original idea. This was a theory that I saw online that just sounds amazing. Uh, the theory is that the Clone Wars isn't about cloned people or species. Well, it's not about clone troopers or aliens or anything like that. It's actually about cloned Jedi. Mm. That so, like, so in your scenario, yes, you have... A situation where no there aren't that many jedi in the galaxy but maybe this threat arises to where there's a need to have more jedi around so for a good for so for a good reason they start cloning jedi so they can fight off this threat but then of course once the threat passes then you start having a problem with all these jedi and some of them getting corrupted or going to the dark side and things of that nature to where yes you have this actual clone war that erupts across the galaxy. That'd be awesome. Um, this sounds a little bit, and I don't know if it's canon anymore. I think it is, but the uh, the Sith War that was supposed to have happened, you know, before the Old Republic. Yeah. You know, starting out there were tons and tons of Sith on Dathomir and uh, Korriban, wherever else, and then yeah, they all ultimately went went to war with one another, and that's how they eventually got settled on, you know, Darth Bane's rule of two. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of a similar thing. And so that's why... And so the reason the theory came up is because Obi-Wan, you know, it's always spelled O-B-I-W-A-N, but actually he was a clone. It was O-B... Kenobi? The, the, the number one. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's an OB 2 and an OB 3 or something. You know? Yeah, that, that sort of a thing. Interesting. So, uh, so, I mean, from just a spectacle standpoint, that sounds amazing. And there's definitely some very interesting things you can do, because like you said, there are some similar ties to the expanded universe, but that just makes it even better because it's kind of an Easter egg to those fanboys and everything that know that history and mm-hmm. allows you to kind of incorporate it in there. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot of great things that, that could have been. That's but. a great idea. I always thought, I, I agree with you. I, I'm going to latch on to something you said. <clears throat> I always thought making the Clone Wars an army of literal clones was a little easy. Mm. I, I just couldn't believe that that's what the Clone Wars name meant. It was literally a war with cl- like human clones. 
I don't know what I expected, but it definitely <laughs> wasn't that. Um, <laughs> and also, I imagine that, you know, what makes a war, um, war is not glamorous, but I think what makes a what makes these wars interesting. And the war stories that we find most intriguing and that relate to us most um, are the ones in which the good people or the innocent people are at risk of losing everything. And there's real consequences and there's real damage and real destruction. And I just don't feel like you ever really get that from the prequels. Um because you know this clone army comes out of nowhere and so it's basically two equally matched forces and what i would love to see the republic you know basically getting you know squashed by this army maybe it's an army from wild space that comes in or something i, I don't know but um yeah I, it, there's no there's you never really get the feeling that the republic is losing in the prequels and to me, I want to see the Republic getting its butt handed to it. And, and that's why in desperation, the empire comes about like, mm-hmm. this is, this is option Z. Um, there are, you know, 26 out of 26 last shot. Um, and that's how it turns into, because, because that's how fascist governments come to power. We know that from our own history. Fascists rise to power when people are out of all other options and they're getting killed and they're hungry. Um, and I feel like we never see that in the in the Star Wars universe. That uh, instead of instead of the Galactic Empire taking power, I would like to see the universe handing power over and saying, "Okay, Darth Vader, save us." Basically, yeah. And how how cool. How fascinating would that be? You know, people are trying to escape destruction by asking Vader to save them. And that would also explain why the rebels are, you know, they have to be very careful about where they are um, because people feel like there's safety and security inside the Empire. Yeah, because even to that day, you still have your your Imperial sympathizers that still think that no, like might is right. Right. If it wasn't for the empire, I'd be speaking hut hut knees right now. You know, something like that. And maybe that's a little too close to reality because that's how people <laughs> really are. But I, I just think that would have been an amazing, um, you know, and, and I feel like the president is set and that the rebel alliance is always having to choose these off the beaten path locations to build their bases and, you know, A New Hope, there are people spying on them who are given information to the Empire. They're constantly being betrayed. Um, and to me, that I would love to see a case where, like, people, the Empire is the lesser of two evils in people's minds. And, of course, you have this, these rebels who are still the good guys because they see what's really going on. Like, Palpatine is this dictator and, like, we can have safety and security without sacrificing freedom. Um, and liberty, um, and I, you know, this is turning into a 2018 argument. Uh, and I don't mean to do that, but I, I just feel like that was a missed opportunity. For sure, for sure. But I love your idea about the the clones being Jedi clones. That would be fascinating. Well, again, that wasn't my idea. That was that was somebody else's idea that <laughs> I just loved and and remembered to this day. Um, well, I guess the the other thing I also wanted to mention that I wanted to touch on was you know about Anakin. And his fall, it it feels to me that one of the missteps that George Lucas had with it throughout the whole trilogy is, I don't know, like this is all speculation on my part, but it feels like, for those of you who don't know, you know, George Lucas is best buddies with uh, Steven Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola, who's best known for the Godfather series, which is, you know, a series of movies that basically chronicles one man's, you know, descent into darkness, you know, starting out as an innocent young man at the beginning of the series and then becoming this, you know, ruthless godfather over the course of the trilogy. And so it always felt to me that, you know, George Lucas, he wanted the same thing for his Darth Vader character. 
that he wanted his own Godfather trilogy that chronicled how someone went down that dark path. However, unlike Francis Ford Coppola, who, well, granted, he was working from uh, books, I believe. I think Godfather's trilogy is actually a series of books. So Yeah, they, um, they were. They were books first. So it, it certainly helps to have, you know, a literary text to pull from and everything as opposed to just pulling it all out of your head like George did. But that, but that aside, still, to try to aspire to that, uh, it felt like that's what he was. That's what he was trying this whole time, was to get his own Godfather trilogy, and and clearly he didn't learn enough from those movies on how to best go about doing that in you know a galactic setting such as Star Wars. So, um, so yeah, just just one of those things that always just kind of sticks out to me. It's just that interesting relationship behind the scenes between George and, and his contemporaries. It's really interesting. I, I did not know that about um, George Lucas and Coppola. Um, I knew that about Steven Spielberg, obviously, because of the Indiana Jones series and all that good stuff. But I did not realize that, but that makes a lot of sense. Have you never you never heard the story of how he cast Harrison Ford as Han Solo? I thought you were about to say the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> Have you never heard the story? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was doing. And I just learned do, like mate like doing a door or something for Francis Ford Coppola. Supposedly, Harrison Ford was offered the role of um, Doctor Grant in Jurassic Park, but turned it down. How interesting would that have been? That would have been my life would have been totally complete <laughs> if if Harrison Ford had been Han Solo, Doctor Grant, and Indiana Jones, and the President of the United States, and Jack Ryan. I mean, it gets no better than that. Give him the EGOT. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good stuff, gentlemen. Pleasure as always. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, and, you know, come back for episode two, where we again will use an exercise of restraint to try not to bash on it too much. But, man, is it going to be tough. But, uh, <laughs> again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.